Welcome to Startup Confidential. What food and beverage industry players will never tell you that you need to know if you're running a startup. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 54. I'll commit more time once there's traction. Let me tell you about a recent client experience, a breakthrough of sorts, really. Now, it's a bit of an edge case, yes, but it lives on a common continuum of error in launching cash-intensive CPG startups. It's just very extreme. This client was a foreign client, and no, they're not on my testimonial section, so don't look. They had a base business that gave them unique access to a magical ingredient already known in the U.S. They wanted to sell value-added products from this supply chain under a cool upmarket brand. Great. Supply chain becomes one of their key weapons. It will allow them to relax pricing earlier than almost any of their competitors. However, they made the mistake of entering the U.S. tentatively as a remote control operation. They described their original belief as follows to me. Well, once there's traction in the U.S., we'll invest more and set up an HQ. That approach did not go well. The importer they used, poor guy, had no earthly idea how to support a fast growth curve. 90% of his clients are simply specialty food purveyors from Europe who simply want to shove a catalog of hot sellers in Italy or France into the U.S. and get their fair, lazy-ass share of the U.S. market. And most food exporters don't really care that much about rapid growth. I mean, come on, have you been to the fancy food show? Veil of non-ambition that it is? The importers there just want stable and reliable U.S. earnings, for the most part. And for the exporter, this is almost always accomplished by spraying the product into three to 5,000 natural specialty outlets instantly, letting the wave crest and monetizing the baseline results for years. The approach is completely remote, control. Just contact our master importer, who then brokers his or her way into the stores haphazardly and even dumps product at big lots if it's about to expire so you don't lose money on unsold inventory. I guess that's a favor. Importers, just like most brokers, love clients with a big catalog of stuff to pitch. The more UPCs to pitch, the more opportunities to hear a casual yes and get your client's case volume up. All of this works against strategic selling and against saying no to accounts totally misaligned to your offering, given what's going on in American food culture at the moment or in American popular culture at the moment. In this highly remote control approach, the founder basically becomes a glorified laptop administrator. They spend their time doing what? Checking in on brokers who manage distributors who then service retail merchandisers. Uh, can you hear in my description how completely remote this founder is from the buyer? If you're cringing as you listen to this, you have the right emotional response. You are cringing because remote control operations, folks, they force you to work entirely through middle persons and third parties who are vastly less motivated than you, the startup founder. These middle people are motivated for the much larger companies or the high growth companies on the client roster, not you. Your agencies, they've seen many of you come and go. Let's be honest. Your agencies and vendors that you directly hire, they may be more motivated than my figurative importer dude in this story. Sure. But they're not nearly as motivated as you. And an agency, by definition, cannot throw in tons of overtime and still make money to quote-unquote double down on something that's working. But your own employees can. Look, if you wanted to get your spouse to fold the laundry soon, would you get your youngest child 
to ask your oldest child to then ask your spouse to fold the laundry? I doubt it. You sleep with this person, so it's not like you have a hard time approaching them. I hope. Now, if you're a BDSM slave, you're excused for for group therapy. Staring at your laptop and sending emails to a broker is just about the dumbest way to manage a vulnerable startup's growth in an oversupplied, highly competitive market, which is more than happy to extract fees from your mile-high pile of hope. You need to be doing everything that requires a founder's passion to excel at, at least early on, until you can hire full-time folks with almost as much passion, but certainly a hell of a lot more than your various agencies. Now, I'm not saying you should avoid brokers or middlemen or agencies completely. No, no, no. I'm saying you have to work the route to shelf from the buyer back as early as possible. Like now. You have nothing to lose in trying, for sure, if retail is going to be critical to your initial growth. Otherwise, you can leave this joyous activity to the seven figures once you've built an initial business online. And this is where hobbyists and other fence-sitting founders still working their day job become the largest pool of remote control founders that I encounter. The fence-sitters are avoiding the financial risk of low to no personal income. And so they don't literally have the time to be a passionate, high-performing founder. Instead, they sit on the fence in their day job and remote control everything like their precious startup is just another open browser tab. Seriously. And, you know, this may be indeed the smartest possible financial move for that person. I can't make a judgment call about that, but I can tell you you're underserving your startup by delaying your ability to learn and to iterate, which only comes from full-time participation, in my experience. And almost always, the assumption that your product is basically awesome. It's so great. So I'll get really awesome skinny pop market validation. And then I can quit my job as my baby explodes into top line glory. <laughs> it's bullshit. It basically never even happens. 99% of founders have an imperfect product that they're staring at in the cradle that needs market learnings to fine tune. And all this takes a lot of time and attention and it takes the agonizing full-time commitment of jumping right in to directly operating the business. In the case of the affluence fence sitter with a cushy day job, you haven't committed to putting your current lifestyle at risk. The foreign company I mentioned earlier hadn't committed physically to being on the ground. They were physically unable to manipulate the market effectively. Startup founders of consumer brands need time, they need the ability to take financial risk, and they need to put physical sweat into the business on the ground, folks. The remote control founder isn't willing to engage with the latter variable, usually. But I have seen no other way if you're going to be an undercapitalized startup in phase one and two without a millions in seed capital, and most of you do not have that and will never get it. I had one serial founder who reacted to my suggestion that he hit every major farmer's market every week to build early trial in his local city as follows. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. Hmm? I guess his initial success with startup number one had clearly deluded him into thinking that he was now above 
all the sweat and horseshit that's involved in starting a consumer business? Not really. If you've been reading about million-dollar software apps started in someone's spare time while working at Facebook, just stop reading that shit. I don't care if some of these anecdotes are even true. I am not impressed by a software coder in 2008 who drank too much Rockstar, had no family, no pet, and who busted out an app in a totally non-competitive app marketplace. Not difficult, not impressive. No one cares, dude. Plus, most of these guys sold 1 to 5 million in app downloads and then watched it evaporate anyways as the pros took over and kicked their ass. Look, without you yourself doing the highest value, passion-dependent tasks with your time and sweat, you are doomed. Whether you are a fence-sitting a McKinsey or just a dude with a lot of family money, you have only yourself to blame if your rack of vendors and agencies disappoint you constantly. I mean, honestly, what I've seen is that having too much initial seed capital actually encourages this remote control horseshit quite a bit. It could be an inheritance, a severance deal, wife's family money. Too much seed capital encourages people not to get super close to their business and their consumer. And that's where people fail to learn from the market at the crucial juncture, which is very early on. That's all I've got, folks. And as always, be safe out there. Dr. Richardson's new book, Ramping Your Brand, is available now on Amazon. Please check it out and spread the word. And don't forget also to take his Founders Quiz to see if your team is ready to ride the ramp of exponential growth. You can download the quiz at rampingyourbrand.com anytime. And feel free to share your scores with Dr. Richardson anytime at james at premiumgrowthsolutions.com.